for you if you have Matthew 28 open as we come again this morning to this the King's Commission. I don't usually like doing part two sermons partly because it requires all of us to clearly remember what we heard last week and we're not all able always to do that and maybe there are some visitors this week as well who weren't with us last week. So just to very quickly catch us up uh, last week we looked at Jesus great declaration In Matthew 28 verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We thought about the fact that this is Jesus describing himself as he does all through the Gospels. He describes himself here in a way that unmistakably means he is God. All authority, he says, is his in heaven and on earth. Jesus is not just an interesting man. Not just a good man, not just a powerful man. He is God become a man. That's what Jesus said about himself. That's what the Gospels prove. That's what all of us must believe if we claim to follow him. We also considered the fact that Jesus' declaration tells us about the position that he has been given. He says here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Having lived a perfect life and then offered himself up on the cross in obedience to his father's will, Jesus then had been given the the position of king over the nations. Not just king of the church, but king of the nations. What we sometimes call the mediatorial kingship of Christ. That is to say that he is in this position from the time that he ascended up off the earth, or the time of his resurrection in fact, he's king from then. Uh, Until the time that he returns as judge when all the authority of the kingdom is taken up into the Godhead of Father, Son and Spirit. Christ is in this position as king over all the world. And since Christ is king over the church and over the nations, he's king over your life and my life. And we ought to recognise and submit to his rule in every area of our lives, both private and public So that's the great declaration that Jesus has made. And so we come today to consider the great commission and then also the great comfort that Jesus provides here. Notice the word therefore in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word therefore links what we thought about last week to what we think about this week. The fact that Jesus is this king is the basis on which he sends His people, he commissions his people. I am king of the nations, Christ is saying, therefore go. On that basis, because of my authority, go. And so the great commission, as it's often called, is the king's commission. Christian men and women, boys and girls, we are to be about the king's business. We have been sent. That's what commissioned means. It means sent by the king and that gives uh, our lives as believers tremendous purpose and tremendous importance and so we want to think first of all today about the great commission Jesus has issued and then we'll think more briefly towards the end about the great comfort that Jesus provides and so first of all today taking most of our time to consider the great commission Jesus has issued and as we think about this great commission there are a couple of questions that we need to answer First of all, who does Christ commission? Who does Christ commission? 
Look again at verses 19 to 20. Jesus here speaking to his 11 disciples says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now we might read those words and think, well that is quite a bit to be doing and it sounds very important, which it is of course. But maybe it's not something that I personally need to worry about. After all, Jesus spoke these words to the apostles, to the 11 disciples as they were at that particular moment. These men would go on to be the leaders of the early church. And so for us today, is it not just church leaders, maybe elders or missionaries or preachers that Jesus wants to be doing these things? Well, the answer to that is, broadly speaking, no. It's not just church leaders that Jesus commissions here. Now it certainly is true that there are particular tasks in church life which are to be carried out by set apart, that is ordained leaders. That's the the clear teaching of the New Testament when you look at it all together. It follows on from the pattern of the Old Testament where there were priests, the Levitical priests were specially set apart, specially ordained to carry out certain tasks Particularly the task of offering sacrifices at the tabernacle or the temple. And a similar pattern is quickly and clearly established in the New Testament. That there are some men who are specifically set apart for offices of preaching and and teaching and pastoring God's people. And uh, maybe uh, as well to be evangelizing or to be pioneering mission. Acts 2.42, for example, in describing early church life, says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles did the teaching. They taught everything that Christ had commanded them to teach. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lays out the qualifications for elders. We looked at them not too long ago in our own congregation. And he speaks clearly there to the fact that elders are to be men, and only men who are qualified in character Uh, Are to lead to be set apart as leaders of the church. So we know that there are particular roles assigned to particular people uh, in the church of Christ. But nonetheless, friends, as Jesus here commissions his disciples at this moment in time, they represent the whole church in all times and places still to come. As Jesus commissions them, he is commissioning. The whole church. Every Christian has a part to play in the Great Commission. Every Christian, to some degree at least, can be involved in telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. At the most basic level, that is what we are commissioned to do. To tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And bring other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even perhaps teaching other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We perhaps hear the word teaching, which Jesus uses here a couple of times. And we think maybe of something very formal. Maybe we think of a classroom, uh, someone with formal qualifications at the front doing a lot of talking. And everyone else maybe sitting taking notes. That's one kind of teaching. Explaining a big Bible word to your five-year-old on the way to Tesco tomorrow morning is another form of teaching. Yes, we believe that God calls some men to be set apart preachers and teachers. But we also believe he calls all believers 
to be telling other people about Jesus Christ. The first people to be told about the resurrection of Jesus were not ordained church leaders. They were women. We have that recorded for us in Matthew 28 verses 1 to 10. As well as the other gospels. And those women were told by the angels of Jesus' tomb to go and tell the men. The apostles who were hiding away in a room somewhere. Acts 18 verse 26 tells us about a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who graciously took aside a passionate young preacher called Apollos and explained to him, we're told, explained to him the way of God more accurately. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul reminds Timothy that, quote, from childhood he had been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scriptures, And later in the same letter, Paul mentions the faith of Timothy's mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice. Timothy was taught, he was discipled by his mother and his grandmother before one day being set apart as an elder and a preacher in the church. Paul says in Titus 2 verse 3 that older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and so on. The point is, friends, if we ourselves are disciples of Jesus, we have some role to play in discipling others, in teaching others, in going to others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For what? For the common good. What's the common good? What's the, what's the common goal of everything we do in the church? It's to fulfill the King's commission. To be going and to be teaching. And so those of you who have just completed another year as Sunday school teachers, you've been making disciples. You have been teaching them. Parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, when you conduct family worship with your children... When you give a talk at Arrows, when you go off and serve on a summer camp team, when you explain God's word for any length of time on any level to someone who wants to know more about it, you're playing your part in the Great Commission. We wholeheartedly believe in the need for ordained preachers. I mean, that goes without saying almost. We, we pray for it regularly. We, we have a denomination I'm very thankful for that values and cherishes the office of ordained preachers and the specific tasks that we are to carry out as elders. But friends, there is an endless number of ways in which you can be carrying out the King's Commission, whether you are an ordained elder or deacon or not. You can invite a colleague to, or colleagues to a 20-minute Bible study over your, your lunch break once a week, once a month, whenever. Have a neighbour over to talk about the Bible and have a coffee once a month or once a week or whenever. You can send your children along to uh, summer camp or to CY in the autumn when it recommences so that they're being discipled. You can read a good Christian book with two or three others in the congregation and, and meet up to chat about it. You could pray for and then go ahead and invite a friend, a neighbour, a colleague to worship or to one of our guest services at the end of August. Or you could maybe go somewhere completely new. 
You could answer a call of God to leave family and community, even your nation, and go to a different nation as a missionary. Point is, friends, the Great Commission is the whole church's commission given to us by our King. Say, well, someone might ask me a question about the Bible that I wouldn't know how to answer. Is that not why we pay you to study the Bible and, and to preach and to teach? Absolutely it is. But I haven't been a neighbour of your neighbour for 20 or 40 years. I haven't been a colleague of your colleague for 10 or 20 years. I've been here, relatively speaking, for about five minutes. They don't know me, they know you. They have seen you living the way you do as a follower of Jesus Christ for maybe your whole life. So you tell them about Jesus. And you answer as much as you can. And if they ask something you don't know how to answer, you say, I don't know the answer to that. I'll look into it and I'll come back to you. Or you say, I don't know the answer to that. But if you come with me to worship this weekend, I know someone who might be able to answer your question. And you phone me in advance and tell me what the question is. So that neither of us look too embarrassed. Jesus has commissioned his church. It's for all of us to obey what he has commanded Who does Jesus commission? But secondly, as we think about the Great Commission, what does Christ commission us to do? And we've thought about this. Inevitably, there's a bit of overlap here. But what has Christ commissioned us to do? Verse 19 again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And in the original language, it's the command there to make disciples that is the priority. And the other things that Jesus says here are really how we do it. We go, we, we, we do it by going, we do it by baptizing, we do it by teaching. Those three sort of hang off the main one, make disciples. Who or what is a disciple? It's someone who follows the teaching and the example of someone else. Someone who follows the teaching and example of someone else. Notice friends, Jesus does not say make converts. A convert is someone who has claimed to have faith in Jesus, which we want and we praise God for every convert. But that is not all that Jesus wants. Jesus wants converts to become disciples. Missions, as they tend to be known in our part of the world, whether they take place in a tent or anywhere else, are great. They can be used of God. Countless Christians who have been born again and have come to faith through in Christ through a tent mission or some other similar event. But what comes next? A convert needs to become committed to Jesus Christ. And that is supposed to happen in the local church. And so I hope that when tent mission evangelists or other evangelists come. That they come and show love and respect for the local church. Jesus has promised us, friends, I will build my church. It might not always look exciting or sound impressive. It doesn't quite carry the same attraction as a charismatic figure who turns up once a year and can draw a crowd. But Jesus' mission strategy for the nations is churches that plant churches that plant churches. Or another way of saying that is disciples who make disciples who make more disciples. Jesus wants commitment. Not just converts. 
And the word teaching emphasizes this point. Notice in verse 20, Jesus says, teaching them all that I have commanded you. That's going to take some time. That's not just one meeting, one night. Teaching is a lifetime endeavor. No matter how long we have been believers, there is always more to learn from Christ's word, more to appreciate about Christ's person and work. It's why we devote the time that we do in our weekly worship to the preaching and teaching of the word. It's why we believe in family worship and Sabbath school and why we have the word taught in our CY and everything else. We're being discipled. We want converts, of course we do. We pray for converts. You can't have disciples without converts. But think of how that word convert is used, even in other walks of life. People, people talk about being converts to all kinds of things. You know, I've converted to a dairy-free diet, or I've converted to a particular car manufacturer. What does that mean? Well, it means they make a commitment. They don't just go dairy-free for a day or an hour. They, they go dairy-free full-time. They drive that different type of car every day from now on. Similarly, Jesus told people to follow him by denying themselves, picking up their cross, counting the cost, making a commitment. The other word that emphasizes commitment here is baptizing. I'm not going to spend too much time on this or get into everything we believe about baptism today. But regardless of a church's particular convictions over baptism, on one level it's a declaration of commitment. It's a declaration of God's commitment to us first and foremost, but also of our commitment to God's people, that we are committed to Christ's church. That's why we read in Acts chapter 2 after Peter had preached at Pentecost, Acts 2.41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What were they added to? They were added to the church. They became members of the church. Don Carson says, The New Testament can scarcely conceive of a disciple who is not baptized or instructed. So the commission is to make disciples, which involves teaching and baptizing, and is to be carried out by the church. And notice just before we leave this point, the claim Jesus makes again about his own identity here in verse 19. He says we're to be baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice it's a singular name, into the name, not names of the Father and Son and Spirit, but the name of the Father, Son and Spirit. One name Three persons, the Trinity, one God in three persons. And so Jesus, once again, here is speaking as God and he's speaking with the authority of God. And this is what our God commands us and commissions us to do. He's commanded us to do the kinds of things that by his grace we are doing in Drumore. Preaching and teaching, both formally and more informally in various ways. But he also commands us to do that which perhaps we find more daunting. To go and to make more disciples. By telling them what Jesus himself has said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And perhaps we feel a degree of inadequacy or nervousness about doing that. 
Even the Apostle Paul asked his readers to pray that God would give him boldness, he said, to preach the gospel in the way that I should. But our King has commanded us to go, friends, and so we must be going. And yet as we go, as we go, let's look lastly and briefly this morning at the great comfort Jesus provides. We thought about the great commission that Jesus has given, also the great comfort that Jesus provides. Look at the last words of Matthew's Gospel, verse 20. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice the word behold. In other words, look at this. Don't miss this. Listen to this. Who is going to be with you? I am. I am. And Jesus is emphatic there when he says, I am. If he had written this in a modern English, he would have put it in block capitals, bold, underlined, italics, all of it. I am with you. As we've seen in some of our recent communion seasons, I am is the name that echoes God's words in the Old Testament, particularly when he sent Moses to the Israelites. Tell them I am has sent me to you. The eternal God who is now in Christ taken on human flesh and lived a perfect life and died on the cross in our place for our sins. He is risen and he is alive and he is reigning and he is with us now and always. Some of you might think, yes, I know he's with us by his spirit. Jesus later said after the Great Commission, Luke 24, Acts chapter 1, that he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And yes, he did say that. And yes, he has sent his spirit. But friends, Jesus is saying more than that here. As wonderful as it is to know that his believers were full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that he, the Son, the King, is with us. John Calvin says, He who, in respect of his body, is at a great distance from us. So Christ, is, his body is in heaven. Not only sends out his spirit through the whole world, but even actually dwells in us. He dwells in us. I am with you always. It's a promise that reminds us of how God spoke to Abraham and how he spoke to all those other men. That's why I read all those different commissionings earlier of Moses and Isaiah. But listen again to Genesis 17 verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. See the similarities, friends, between the call of Abraham and the great commission of Christ's church. In both, God makes a great statement to Abraham. He says, I am God Almighty, Jesus to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In both, God gives a great command. He says to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Go before me and be blameless. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And in the Great Commission, Jesus similarly says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And to both, in both, God gives a great comfort. Behold, my covenant is with you. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always. See, friends, the great I am, 
the God of covenant grace. We spent all those months looking at how he dealt with Abraham. He's still with us today. He kept his promises to Abraham. He will keep his promises to us. But we can only expect his presence and his special blessing if we're obedient to what he has told us to do. It's as we go, as we make disciples that he will be with us. Could it be that the church today is missing out on blessing because we're not going and not making disciples as much or as often as we could or should? I know, I know we can only try. I know we are living in this spiritually dead community and society around us. We cannot force anyone to come to church. We can't force them to listen to what we have to say, to pick up and read their Bibles. But nonetheless, friends, we must try. We must be faithful to what Christ has told us to do and we must go. And as we go, we know that Christ is with us. What more encouragement or motivation do we need to speak And so here's what I want you to be praying about over these next few weeks. At the end of August, we have three public services, just going to be short meetings, going to preach short messages, urging people to repent and follow Christ. And then in the autumn, one evening service a month will be a guest service for three months. Don't even really like the label guest service. As far as I'm concerned, every service is a service for guests. But nonetheless, again, these will be shorter service, evangelistic message, An opportunity for unbelievers to come under the sound of the word. You'll get flyers to offer people. Not going to put them through all the doors in this occasion. You're taking them. Will you pray for the next few weeks. About inviting someone along. And will you believe that when the time comes to go to that person. The great I am. The resurrected king. The Lord Jesus Christ. Is with you. Maybe boys and girls or men and women, the king one day will call you to go further. Maybe he'll call you to Limerick or Waterford or Dublin. Maybe he'll call you to Stranraer or North Edinburgh to help the work there. Maybe he'll call you to Africa or Asia. When the time comes to go, to forsake mother or father or children or lands or employment or comfort for the sake of the gospel... Believe that as you go, Christ goes with you. One writer reflecting on this conclusion to Matthew's gospel, he says that in a sense, Matthew is not a closed book at all. The final chapter is still being written right now today. It's being written in Dromore and on the island of Ireland. It's being written in the Gambia, which you can read about the latest copy of the magazine and in South Africa and in Thailand and Laos and Vietnam. It's being written wherever and whenever you and I are obedient to the King's Commission to make disciples of all the nations, comforted as we do, that our King is with us now and always. Amen.